The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, today we're going to talk a little money, a little oil, talking about how the industry funds the government. We've got a great story happening up in North Dakota where, seriously, like 50% of the state of North Dakota's government is connected to the oil and gas production taxes. So you got a gas extraction and a gross production tax, and the state of North Dakota gets that from the oil and gas And like over a 10-year period, it shows that the state is 50% reliant, their budget is, on oil and gas. So on top of all the other fees, on top of everything else that they pay, and after all the community donations and everything else, the state of North Dakota is 50% reliant on that industry. So just to give you an idea how important the new industries, I mean, the industry is only 10 years old. I mean, it happened back in the 80s, I get it, but really the only ind- industry is only 10 years old, and what it's done for that economy is absolutely remarkable. So Brett Boger, Jade Stone Consulting, shares results of an oil and gas tax revenue study. And, you know, honestly, we're going to get right into it here. I love the new format we have where we get right into the interview so you don't have to listen to me talk up front because sometimes we like to get right into other people talking. That's why you're here. You're not here to listen to me. Well, a couple of you are. I know that because thank you for the emails very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the Facebook and and Twitters and all the different social media responses that you've sent out to me. By the way, folks, if you'd like to be a part of our uh, network, we've got 350,000 followers. And if you go to thecrudelife.com, thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab. Now, I know the name of the show is the Multimedia Cafe, but we're part of the Crude Life Media Network. And you can see all the different YouTubes and Twitters and Facebooks and all the different pages we have at LinkedIn. And if you add them up, it's over 350,000. And we'd love for you to be a part of our social media club. Okay, coming up next, Brent Boger with Jade Stone Consulting. Name is Brent Bogar. I work with Jade Stone Consulting. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. And one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about was a new study or a new I guess, uh, paper, white paper or something along those lines. It's been done. It's a projection of oil and gas um, taxes or a collection of the something along those lines. It has to do with the oil and gas taxes and the state of North Dakota. And I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks from there because I'm this is new. I mean, I just got this press release yesterday and I haven't really even had a chance to uh, take a look at it. So um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about it. And you're going to take the lead on it because I'm skimming as we go. Sounds good. Yeah, what we've got here is the North Dakota Petroleum Council and Western Dakota Energy Association. They partnered to put together a, a report that really went back and looked at since the um, really kind of the birth of the Bakken, um, 2007 um, through 
2018, which for the state would be fiscal years 2008 to 2018, look at all of the taxes specific to the oil industry. So that would be the production tax and the extraction tax. And just look at those two taxes and say, how much has the state collected in those tax dollars? And where have those tax dollars gone? The Petroleum Council, they have the position of, we want to we see where the money's um, going. As the industry, they pay these taxes. Um, and so where is the money being put to use? Western Dakota Energy, kind of the same thing, but they wanted to see, you know, um, kind of, in a sense, break down this east versus west wall that everyone has benefited from the um, oil industry and the taxes that are being paid by the state. Um, there's always going to be the argument of who needs more or wants more. Um, I joke and say, you know, every community wants an extra 5%, but at some point it adds up to over 100%, so you, no one's ever going to get exactly what they want. But that's what this kind of the uh, background of this report was, is let's, let's look at this and let's see how much has gone in to the state and where has it been put to use. And so we um, gathered that information together. Um, it turns out that over the last 11 fiscal years for the state, we're just shy of $18 billion paid in in extraction and production taxes. Uh, I always um, clarify that because that doesn't include the additional taxes that the industry pays, sales tax, income tax, local property taxes. This is just those two specific taxes to this industry, um, the extraction and production tax and where that money goes. Um, it's pretty phenomenal when you think about that. Um, the numbers show that you know, for the state, the state collects a number of taxes. We're talking over the last five years, uh, the extraction and production tax coming into the state that the state's collected is 50% of all of the taxes that the state has collected. That's sales tax, income tax, motor vehicle tax. When you ta total up all the taxes that the state collects, extraction and production tax equal 50% of those dollars. So it's a um, pretty significant amount of revenue here. to the state. So you're saying out of all the taxes, 50% comes from those two taxes? That's correct. And what over the last five years? Over the last five years, and that, I, well, does that include income tax and all those others too, or just some a certain? It area? does. So, out of all the nope. taxes in North Dakota, fifty percent of them come from the production and extraction tax. That's that, correct. That is kind absolutely of. incredible. Is that is that the norm in states like Texas and you know Alaska, states that you know are in the top? New Mexico, the top four for oil production, or is that something unique to North Dakota? Because I've always been told that North Dakota has the highest extraction tax or one of the highest in the nation. Yeah, it, it's not the norm, Jason, is that this is um, that level of dependency of revenues coming from um, a single industry like Texas, um, there's a number of, and obviously when we start getting into uh, tax policies, comparing state to state's always a tough thing. For example, in Texas, they don't have a production tax that's collected at the state because they allow property tax at the wellhead for the local communities. And so there's always this kind of differential sure. um, where the North Dakota, they collect everything at the state and so then distribute it back, whereas some states 
don't. And then Alaska is always tough to compare to because people like to look at Alaska, you know, even like with here in North Dakota, we hear about the, the legacy fund is one of the funds that these tax dollars go into. Um, and people say, why can't we be out like Alaska and pay, pay the citizens a dividend check like Alaska does? Well, Alaska collects taxes, but Alaska also owns the minerals and collects the, right. the royalties on those minerals. North Dakota doesn't own the minerals. They're owned by private individuals. Right. Al- so, Alaska, it's like a ta- it, tax rebate every year, except for its oil. That, that's all. Yeah. Yep. And if, talk to people that, uh, are, that do business up there, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating because in order to get a single thing done, you got to put it through the legislative process for oil and gas. And you know that time is money in oil and gas. So, no, I I understand all that. But so my my question, I guess, is more of when you kind of as a broad brush, North Dakota is very reliant on oil and gas taxes. I mean, that's that 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 is plain as day. If if fifty percent of the tax yep. revenue comes from those two taxes, you're not even including the amount of uh, of uh, Halliburton trucks and amount of those those um, license registrations and out of fees t- uh, taxes. I mean, because there there's a let's be honest, there's a lot of people that live in Western North Dakota and even on the east side here. Uh, where if the oil and gas industry is not percolating and not moving, they're not living in our state. And so, therefore, all of that tax revenue goes away, too. I'm sure that your study did not get into that, but I do think it is worthy of mentioning. It is worthy of mentioning because, like, you're exactly right, Jason. It doesn't include the sales tax, all of those vehicles. I mean, they talk roughly two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars in state sales tax mr brent boger i'm going to ask you to hold a thought for just a moment we're going to take a quick pause when we come back we're going to continue the conversation with brent boger jade stone consulting my name is jason spies and this is the multimedia cafe brother in a country enough. yeah if your feet ain't jumping once a band starts rocking Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Brent Boger with Jade Stone Consulting. Dollars in state sales tax for every um, well that's drilled. Um, so, you know, much larger impact to the state than just the extraction and production tax. Now, 
Petroleum Council, I believe in March, um, every two years, they actually commission NDSU to do an economic impact study that takes a look at those um, other taxes as well as kind of the um, secondary effects, as you know, one job in, you know, in the oil industry, well, that means you need people in support industries, whether it's retail or restaurants or services and those types of things. So they have an economic impact study coming out that looks at that, um, those secondary effects. Um, But to say that the industry is key to the state, I think, is almost an understatement at this point. Well, it is. I mean, I listen, I, I, I do an oil and gas show, and I've been doing it for like six years now, seven years. And it's no secret that I am very upfront when I tell people that oil and gas is vital to the economy. It's First of all, it's the only industry that's added jobs over the last 10 years. If you take every industry in the, in, in the United States and look at the net gain of jobs, all this entrepreneur and technology and startups and and all these new things, they haven't produced a net gain in jobs after 10 years. The mining industry, aka oil and gas, is the only one that's done so. So when I take a look at a solid industry like that, and they are reliant on on pricing though. They're they're reliant on pricing. To see a state so reliant on it and then constantly trying to figure out new ways to get more money out of it, that that really, that's not, to me, that's the wrong direction. Like, instead of trying to get more money, because I'm, I'm talking with uh, Meryl Pepcorn a little bit later today, and he's got some new extraction tax, and I don't know much about it, but... He's trying to increase, he's trying, basically at the end of the day, he's trying to get more money from the oil and gas companies. And I, I, get, I get it because I, I do a program that's energy themed. That doesn't mean I, I'm not a, a, a logical, sensible person, because when you start trying to get more money out of there, um, that's not the right way to go. It, you you want to diversify your taxes and that sort of thing so that in times of up and down, your government can stay stable. And not, I mean, listen, if, if oil goes down to 30 bucks next week, which it can, and it has before, and, and we all remember the 90s, it was a decade of low oil prices. It wasn't a couple months. It was a decade. So this stuff historically has happened before. My, my question is, is, is the state aware of this? And are they trying to do anything to correct it? This is great. I'm going to ask Merrill this question later on that. Why are you trying to put more eggs in the same basket? Okay. All right. There, there's my soapbox question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and I, I, I agree with you, Jason. I think we've got to be practical, you know, um, as even um, working out in Western North Dakota and the Western Dakota Energy Association and its members, they used to, they'd come down to the session every, every year or every time um, here to Bismarck and basically say, uh, quick kill, don't kill the golden goose. You can only squeeze so much out of it before you're going to kill it. And that's, that's where like this idea of increasing the extraction tax and where that comes from is in 2015, the legislature reduced the extraction tax from six and a half percent to 5%. And, um, in exchange for that, they got rid of what was called the big trigger, which, because oil prices had collapsed, would have actually reduced the extraction tax to 0%, and it would have stayed at that rate for nearly two years before it would have come back in. And obviously, if we would have had the big trigger, that would have been a huge loss to the state. Um, 
Merrill and others say, well, you didn't need to reduce the rate. You could have kept it at six and a half and just got rid of the big trigger. I don't personally, I don't agree with that because the Bach in North Dakota competes with Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Oklahoma for these capital dollars that the industry invests. They have other options, other options that quite frankly are more lucrative. You don't have cold weather. You don't have transportation restrictions, you know, capacity restrictions on pipelines and stuff in these other fields. And so you have to remember we're competing on a, not just a national, but a global market and to continue to increase taxes on a single industry. Um, as you said, a, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You're continuing to lean on that basket instead of looking at ways to diversify. And when you see these numbers that we're talking, the amount of money that comes into this state just from this industry, it's that's a huge reliance on a single industry to support state programs, state funding for everything from education to water projects to roads. I mean, it, it's not like it's just in one area that the state uses the oil revenue. I mean, it supports the general fund. It's been used to build schools. It's been used to build um facilities on our university campuses. It's been used to fund K-12 education, um, highways, water projects, flood control. I don't think you can find a uh, thing that has not received the benefit of the oil industry. So I'm looking at this, this white paper you guys put together, this executive summary, and the headline is State Oil Tax Distribution by type, fiscal years 2008 to 2018. And you've got a list of all the counties across North Dakota. And then the next thing is uh, property tax, I want to say. Yep. And talk to me about that a little bit in terms of the oil tax distribution. Now, when I look at, say, Cass County, and it says $93 million and some change. Is that how much the oil tax has given Cass County? Yes. And then $322 yep. million in, in, well, $323 million actually, in water. So um, the oil taxes that have been extracted from western North Dakota have been repurposed by the state and redistributed to, say, Cass County, in the tune of $93 million in property tax relief. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. The, oh, and, wow. Um, wow. That I can yeah. see where this is going to cause some problems. You, you know, if you take the line across on Cass County. Um, it's close to a billion dollars. It's close to, I mean, it's yeah. $821 million. I'm sorry. We're going to round up $73 million. And so we're going to say, yeah. we're going to call it eight eight hundred and twenty one million. Now let's let's juxtapose that. By the way, with is it Williams County that Dickinson's in? Williams County is Williston. That is the, okay. the highest. Now, now, um, good for them. They, now, Williston's got some money. They got close. You know, they got nine hundred and forty three million. So that is a good sign, though. That is a good sign because that's you know that was the hotbed and. And what a lot of people don't know that are listening to this, whether you're in Wyoming or whether you're in South Dakota or Montana, or even if you're in North Dakota, a lot of these roads in Western North Dakota are actually getting, getting updated for the first time in a century. I mean, a lot of, well, maybe not a century, but they were built to basically have a couple combines a year go down them. 
and that was it. I mean, these roads were so underbuilt, a rainstorm would literally move part of the road off of the road, <laughs> part of the asphalt off the road. So that's a good sign, at least, you know, that there's some investment going in there. Because I'm looking at, you know, a lot of it looks like transportation and some road stuff. So that's a good sign that, you know, we're not going to totally pick on this thing. <laughs> No, it, it is a good thing, and, and that was even with Western Dakota Energy, Jeff Simons, their executive director, and he looks at this and he says, you know, this, this shows that there has been investment made out west to support the industry. Um, as I said, everyone's going to argue that they need more, those types of things, and, you know, I'm not going to parse into that one, but uh, the reality is, is we've made the state has made significant investments in the communities out west to support the industry, but it's made these investments across the state for some of these projects. Mr. Brent Boger, I'm going to ask you to hold a thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Brent Boger, Jade Stone Consulting. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Brent Boger with Jade Stone Consulting. It is worthy of mentioning because like, you, you're exactly right, Jason. It doesn't include the sales tax, all of those vehicles. I mean, they talk roughly two hundred to $300,000 in state sales tax for every um, well that's drilled. Um, so, you know, much larger impact to the state than just the extraction and production tax. Now, Petroleum Council, I believe in March, um, every two years, they actually commission NDSU to do an economic impact study that takes a look at those um, other taxes as well as kind of the um, secondary effects, as you know, one job in, you know, in the oil industry, well, that means you need people in support industries, whether it's retail or restaurants or services and those types of things. So they have an economic impact study coming out that looks at that, um, those secondary effects. Um, But to say that the industry is key to the state, I think, is almost an understatement at this point. Well, it is. I mean, I listen, I, I, I do an oil and gas show, 
and I've been doing it for like six years now, seven years. And it's no secret that I am very upfront when I tell people that oil and gas is vital to the economy. It's first of all, it's the only industry that's added jobs over the last 10 years. If you take every industry in the, in, in the United States and look at the net gain of jobs, all this entrepreneur and technology and startups and, and all these new things, they haven't produced a net gain in jobs after 10 years. The mining industry, AKA oil and gas, is the only one that's done so. So when I take a look at a solid industry like that, and they are reliant on, on pricing, though. They're, they're reliant on pricing. Yep. To see a state so reliant on it and then constantly trying to figure out new ways to get more money out of it, that, that really, that's not, to me, that's the wrong direction. Like, instead of trying to get more money, because I'm, I'm talking with uh, Merrill Pepcorn a little bit later today, and he's got some new extraction tax, and I don't know much about it, but he's trying to increase, he's trying, basically at the end of the day, he's trying to get more money from the oil and gas companies. And I, I, get, I get it because I, I do a program that's energy themed. That doesn't mean I, I'm not a, a, a logical, sensible person, because when you start trying to get more money out of there, um, that's not the right way to go. It, you you want to diversify your taxes and that sort of thing so that in times of up and down, your government can stay stable and not. I mean, listen, if, if oil goes down to 30 bucks next week, which it can and it has before, and, and we all remember the 90s, it was a decade of low oil prices. It wasn't a couple months. It was a decade. So this stuff historically has happened before. My my question is, is is the state aware of this and are they trying to do anything to correct it? This is great. I'm going to ask Merrill this question later on that. What, why are you trying to put more eggs in the same basket? OK. All right. There, there, there's my soapbox question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and I, I, I agree with you, Jason. I think we've got to be practical, you know, um, as even um, working out in western North Dakota, and the Western Dakota Energy Association and its members, they used to, they'd come down to the session every, every year or every time um, here to Bismarck and basically say, uh, quick kill, don't kill the golden goose. You can only squeeze so much out of it before you're going to kill it. And that's, that's where, like this idea of increasing the extraction tax and where that comes from is in 2015, the legislature reduced the extraction tax from six and a half percent to five percent and um in exchange for that they got rid of what was called the big trigger which because oil prices had collapsed would have actually reduced the extraction tax to zero percent and it would have stayed at that rate for nearly two years before it would have come back in and obviously if we would have had the big trigger that would have been a huge loss to the state um Merrill and others say, well, you didn't need to reduce the rate. You could have kept it at six and a half and just got rid of the big trigger. I don't personally, I don't agree with that because the Bach in North Dakota competes with Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Oklahoma for these capital dollars that the industry invests. They have other options, other options that quite frankly 
are more lucrative. You don't have cold weather. You don't have transportation restrictions, you know, capacity restrictions on pipelines and stuff in these other fields. And so you have to remember we're competing on a not just a national but a global market. And to continue to increase taxes on a single industry, um, as you said, A, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. You're continuing to lean on that basket instead of looking at ways to diversify. And when you see these numbers that we're talking, the amount of money that comes into this state just from this industry, it's that's a huge reliance on a single industry to support state programs, state funding for everything from education to water projects to roads. I mean, it, it's not like it's just in one area that the state uses the oil revenue. I mean, it supports the general fund. It's been used to build schools. It's been used to build um facilities on our university campuses. It's been used to fund K-12 education, um, highways, water projects, flood control. I don't think you can find a uh, thing that has not received the benefit of the oil industry. So I'm looking at this, this white paper you guys put together, this executive summary, and the headline is State Oil Tax Distribution by type, fiscal years 2008 to 2018. And you've got a list of all the counties across North Dakota. And then the next thing is uh, property tax, I want to say. Yep. And talk to me about that a little bit in terms of the oil tax distribution. Now, when I look at, say, Cass County, and it says $93 million and some change. Is that how much the oil tax has given Cass County? Yes. And then $322 yep. million and, and, well, $323 million actually, in water. So um, the oil taxes that have been extracted from western North Dakota have been repurposed by the state and redistributed to, say, Cass County, in the tune of $93 million in property tax relief. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. The, oh, wow. And, um, wow. That I can yeah. see where this is going to cause some problems. You, you know, if you take the line across on Cass County. Um, it's close to a billion dollars. It's close to I mean, it's yeah. $821 million. I'm sorry. We're going to round up $73 million. And so we're going to say yeah. we're going to call it eight eight hundred and twenty one million. Now, let's let's juxtapose that, by the way, with is it Williams County that Dickinson's in? Williams County is Williston. That is the, okay. the highest. Now, now, good for them. They, now, Williston's got some money. They got, you know, they got nine hundred and forty three million. So that is a good sign, though. That is a good sign because that's you know, that was the hotbed. And and what a lot of people don't know that are listening to this, whether you're in Wyoming or whether you're in South Dakota or Montana, or even if you're in North Dakota, a lot of these roads in Western North Dakota are actually getting getting updated for the first time in a century. I mean, a lot of time, well, maybe not a century, but they were built to basically have a couple combines a year go down them. And that was it. I mean, these roads were so underbuilt, a rainstorm would literally move part of the road off of the road, <laughs> part of the asphalt off the road. So that's a good sign, at least, you know, that there's some investment going in there because I'm looking at, you know, a lot of it looks like transportation and some road stuff. So that's a good sign that, you know, we're not going to totally pick it, it, on this thing. <laughs> no, no, it, it is a good thing. And, 
and that was even with Western Dakota Energy, Jeff Simons, their executive director, and he looks at this and he says, you know, this, this shows that there has been investment made out west to support the industry. Um, as I said, everyone's going to argue that they need more, those types of things, and, you know, I'm not going to parse into that one, but uh, the reality is, is we've made the state has made significant investments in the communities out west to support the industry. Mr. Brent Boger, I'm going to ask you to hold a thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Brent Boger, Jade Stone Consulting. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Business, but you better pay attention to You might turn a blind eye on the world, but there's always an eye on you. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Brent Boger with Jade Stone Consulting. West to support the industry, but it's made these investments across the state for some of these projects. Um, and so I think it's the state as a whole has very much benefited, but we have to recognize the, the benefits coming from a single industry. And I guess from my standpoint, that's, that's what I see in this study is how much the state has become dependent on a single industry. And we have to make sure that we, you know, I'll say it this way. We need to make sure we take care of the industry with appropriate regulations. Is the tax burden the, the right tax burden? Raising the taxes on an industry that has been supporting you this much might not be the smartest thing at this point in time when we're still in a very weak egg economy um, and some of the other economic indicators of the state are not exactly the strongest. And so do you really want to pick on the one that's actually um, growing and supporting you? Well, and it's, it's really one of the few that's still pretty diverse in terms of economic ripple. You start looking at the UA, yep. you start looking at the UAS industry and some of the technology that's pretty centralized. There's not the robust um, economic ripple that the oil and gas industry brings in. And um, I, I, I don't know if I phrased that correctly, but I, I, I think I kind of made a little bit of a point there that there's, there's a little bit more opportunity, yeah. you know? Yeah, with, with the oil and gas industry, you think about it, um, you know, obviously you have the direct impacts, the drilling and the production happening in Western North Dakota. But the amount of engineering, the amount of manufacturing that's occurring, and even in the Red River Valley, Grand Forks, Fargo, the number of jobs. 
jobs that are supported that those spin-off jobs. I think of I can think of a couple of firms specifically in Grand Forks um, that have done tons of construction in building in western North Dakota for these communities, whether it's building schools, whether it's building warehouses or other buildings. And so there, there is a much more broader ripple effect with an industry like the oil and gas. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I used to tell people all the time back in 2012 and 13, uh, you don't think Fargo is benefiting from uh, the oil and gas? Go drive by Fargo Tank. And you can't find a tank in their parking lot, man. I mean, they were selling them left and right. And, and you know this because you were there during the early days like I was. Minneapolis was the big winner in the beginning. I mean, they had all the finance yeah. set up and they had the, uh, you know, the, the train and Mississippi and all that distribution. And they were, they were an early uh, ad- advantage, I guess, uh, in, in the oil and gas world. It's, it's leveled out considerably since then. Um, what are you hearing from the oil and gas companies? I know your job's not to, you know, relay messages for the oil and gas companies, but this is some pretty concerning information. And I'll be honest, if this is to me, this is beyond political. This is this is something where a discussion needs to be had by everybody because if fifty percent of your state's income is reliant on one industry, and then if you really take a microscope into it, I would argue it's closer to 60% when you start talking about some of those those things that we were talking about, the sales tax that the uh, nomadic energy people bring in, and North Dakota's been trying very hard to solidify these nomadic people. And just to reiterate what you were talking about, the global marketplace, that's the real deal, people. You want to go back three, four years ago, oil companies like Liberty Oil were doing remote fracking. So they had employees down in San Antonio, but they were fracking up in North Dakota. So they would have a little shell team up here in North Dakota, but the majority of their people were were down living in the headquarter area because, well, you know, technology has allowed that. So why do you think North Dakota has been investing so much in the quality of life? Because that's that's the direction it's going to where if you've got a good quality of life for your family, you'll put up with some snow. You'll put up with, you know, I mean, it's not been done. It's 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 not reinventing the wheel here. But what we're trying to reinvent is a quality of life for people. So sorry, another kind of a summary there. But um, just to kind of give people some context a little bit. What, what are people saying in the energy industry? Are, are you hearing that this discussion is being had, or is it still just this finger-pointing over who's getting what more than who? No, I, I think you're starting to see more of the, the conversation turning from the industry of them being more so of a, we're, we're here for the long haul, and we're supporting the state, and this study shows that we're supporting everywhere across the state everyone across the state and we want to continue to do that but we need to we need to be able to do it in a competitive environment and so instead of it being a finger pointing of east west type of thing and um the industry just kind of hunkering down i think um i see um more of the conversation being we're here to support the state but we can't be the only ones that support the state and don't don't just uh point and uh, pick on us, I guess you could say. And, okay, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, because as as I shared earlier, I mean, when you look at um, 
price and production here in North Dakota prices, it's a very price dependent industry. And when uh, the last numbers I heard, you know, we're at somewhere between a seven and nine dollar discount off a of WTI for North Dakota crude. Well, if I can go down, if I'm a company and if I can invest, I already have lower expenses because I don't have to be dealing with the cold weather and stuff right now. And I can be down in Texas and I'm only getting a two to three dollar discount. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where where it makes better sense to make those investments. And every time that you increase a tax, that's an increase in expense on an industry. And so that, that all starts to play into it. And so they're they're very cognizant of um, the the impact they have on the state budget. But they're also they're companies that they have investors, they have shareholders, they have people that they have to answer to. They can't just um, be charitable and say, oh, we'll stay in North Dakota and keep paying the higher taxes just to support the state. They've got to make business decisions. And I think Western Dakota sees that. The Western Dakota Energy Association sees that um, with this information coming out, um, people are recognizing that, hey, um, we've got to continue to make those investments. We've got to make, allow these communities to make the right investments in their community for, for their infrastructure, but also to support the quality of life so that we can support this workforce that's here because it, we are competing on a global stage for a workforce and for capital investment. And so we need to, we need to put our best foot forward as a state and as local communities um, for the industry. Well, I just noticed the time. We've uh, went beyond our 10-minute interview here a little bit, so I should probably get right. i got a chili cook-off i got to interview next, so you go from taxes to chili cook-off. That's, uh, hey, man, keep the variety and spice of life going, I guess. Um. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So, well, I, I, pr- I appreciate the time, Jason, yeah. and we will be in touch. I'll definitely reach out to you or in, with um, whether it's Jeff or Ron or whatever, but I do think that we want to probably do a little bit of a – dog and pony show and would definitely um, welcome any assistance you could provide on that and um and that was brent boger with jade stone consulting to listen to the full-length interview or check out other exclusive interviews visit the crudelife.com that's the crudelife.com the multimedia cafe is part of the crude life media network check us out on facebook twitter and the youtubes all of our social media links can be available at thecrudelife.com. that's going to do it for today's program i'd like to thank brent boger with jade stone consulting for sharing the results of the North Dakota Oil and Gas Tax Revenue Study, as well as some of the other information that he joined with us, shared with us today as he joined the Multimedia Cafe. That's going to do it for today's program. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. We'd like to thank everybody for listening online, or if you're downloading one of our podcasts, appreciate it very much. Thank you. We're available at iTunes and, of course, all the other podcast platforms. From the staff, Here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice.
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery.